celebrate 13 years of God's faithfulness uh, to Crossway, to all of our beloved uh, Crossway family. And so we are grateful for you all. That video was great. The Some of the uh, testimonies that our dear uh, brothers and sisters shared, I'm just grateful for them. And uh, thankful for all of you who are logging in and worshiping with us. We had a wonderful in-person service just at 9 o'clock and had a uh, a good uh, amount of people, and it was just so nice to see some faces of those who were able to come out. Um, but uh, we get to see you today. If you come by, we have communion. Uh, we do have um, journals for the new Gospel of Luke series that's going to be starting next week, and for you to just follow through, and that'll be wonderful because it'll get us through all the way uh, to mid-next year. And uh, so we're looking forward to seeing you all today, either at our Irvine ministry center or here at Brea at our headquarters. And I just want to uh, thank God for all the things um, that he's given to us. When you think about an anniversary and you think about certain dates that we keep, often it serves two purposes. It helps you to look back. Uh, you look back with gratitude. You look back at all the wonderful memories you've created. Um, and so we do that today. We look back on this past year. We look back on the last 13 years of God creating a church and um, one of the blessings is seeing all of our children just growing up uh, so quickly and some of them have been here from the beginning obviously and seeing them growing up as adults now uh, is such a blessing and so we thank God for that we thank God for this past year um, who would have thought that this year uh, mid-March when all this uh, pandemic was happening uh, we didn't know what, what it was going to look like, but I loved seeing our church come to action and just some of our, our staff guys just rolling up their sleeves. And since then, it's been, you know, double time here at church. Um, all the setup and all of our worship uh, leaders coming and leading us so well, and it's been such a blessing because it's like, oh, this is pandemics happening. We have to shut down church, and everyone rolled up their sleeves and said, we're going to make it work. And uh, within 48 hours, we were able to go online like this. And it's like everyone showed up and said, we're going to figure it out. And we're going to make it happen. And so I'm just so grateful uh, for everyone. And right now, for Pastor Sam and all those who are here for Christian and Chris and, um, and Michael, who's back there, and everyone else who's back here serving, making this happen, uh, I just want to thank you guys and recognize you for serving the church. Uh, these videos that we're showing, the... Uh, different uh, angles and the lighting in the room and the backdrop that April and the creative team has come up with is just getting better and better and better. So uh, thank you all for that. And uh, one of the highlights of our church is, you know, our summer mission trips. And, uh, you know, one of the problems we have always is we have too many people signing up. What a wonderful problem. A lot of churches don't have that kind of problem, but we've uh, encountered that. And so we would go in the room and try to figure out how do we manage so many people. Um, obviously, we couldn't go this year, but we were able to uh, still further the mission of God. And I'm just grateful as I think back on Operation Feed the Children within his steps in Mississippi. We're able to get food and the Bible out to the families there in the sawmill quarters and in the poor parts of Canton. So we're grateful for all of you who stepped up 
Uh, we're grateful for our Hope House project, the Shiogama Bible Baptist Church, that we were able to provide air conditioning for their youth room on the side. As those of you who've been there, you remember that little side? It was like a garage almost. And now they have a fancy air conditioner and the youth and the young people in that region can come to church and enjoy themselves. And so we're grateful for all of you who uh, were so generous in that way. And it continues. Uh, back to school, backpack drive for East Whittier School District. So many of you uh, donated so much. Um, and so all these young people in East Whittier who are underprivileged were able to now have new school supplies. Um, as they start the school year, and they've been blessed by a church. And so what a wonderful thought that is. And so we're just grateful for that. We're grateful for our worship team and our pastors, the amount of uh, the Bible studies on Wednesday nights, the equip class that Pastor Sam will be leading in a little bit uh, live, and uh, all the hours and uh, the hundreds and even thousands of people coming to hear the gospel through Crossway. So we thank God for all of that, and you are part of it. And uh, we want to continue the work. So we look back and we look forward to go boldly, to keep the mission going, to not slow down. And so we keep going. And this section, the end of Habakkuk, is where we're at today. And in this section, it wraps up by saying that their circumstances have not changed. It's still going to be hard. The enemy is still at the door. They're going to be coming in. What should we do? How should we respond uh, and yet, he still uh, goes forward. God still goes forward. It's, um, when you look here, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce in his commentary on Hab uh, Habakkuk, he starts out by saying these words. It was easy to have exultant faith in him while those good things were granted in abundance. But what if they were withheld? What if they were withheld? What if we didn't have that much? And so Bruce, F.F. Bruce, asks that question as he starts the commentary on this. What if we don't have that much? Will we still continue to now have faith in him? You see, that was the situation that was happening here. Habakkuk, when he approaches God, as uh, we saw in the beginning, he approaches God with complaints. Babylon is going to now take over and take these people into exile. And so he's saying, what are we going to do? Can you help us? And he complains to God. He encounters God. The circumstances don't change, but Habakkuk is changed. And this is what happens to us. We might go to God and say, God, I need this and I need that. But the moment we encounter God, though our circumstances might not have changed, God changes us. God gives us faith. God allows us to now stand strong. And this is what is happening here. You see, God doesn't just change his circumstances. God doesn't say, I want you to like me, so I'm going to change everything and make it the way you want. He says, no, you're still going to face the hardships and judgment as Babylon is at the door, but I'm changing you. And as you're tuning in today, and this last seven months have been very difficult for all of us, and it's been hard for you. And maybe it's been extra difficult for you. The circumstances at home, uh, the hardships that you're going through. God is telling you, come and encounter me. Encounter God. He is going to change you. Your circumstances might not be changed, but you yourself will be strengthened. That's what we see here. 
Uh, Habakkuk responds, just a little background in the verses that we read. He responds by talking about his experience, how he felt. What a difficult time this was. And he talks about how they're going to be lacking in so much. So he talks about his own bodily reaction to know that the enemy is at the door. He says in verse 16 of our text, I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Um, verse 17, he describes now the economic, really, circumstance of the days. It's though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. This is saying that they will have nothing. The enemy will come, and they will ravage the people, and they will have nothing. And you go in verse 16, and he talks about his body trembling, his lips quivering. Rottenness has entered into my bones, he says. He describes the feeling he has, and maybe you've experienced that. We have all have that gut-wrenching feeling where we feel like rottenness has entered into my bones. And he says, my legs are weak. He's losing strength. It's hard to get up. He feels like he's going to faint, knowing what is to come. But he himself is still strengthened by God. Um, the description in verse 17 is, uh, is what we went through. You remember back in March and April, we couldn't find toilet paper. And it was so weird to go and say, see that there wasn't enough eggs, there wasn't enough meat. You go to the can section. I remember going to the markets to buy spam and they ran out and I, in my garage i still have cans of mackerel right if any of you want mackerel i'll gladly give that to you right? but you remember those moments and i thought man this is just weird this is kind of scary oh, we don't have enough food people are now waiting in line to just get into the markets and that memory which seems so faint hit me Again, as we think about this, and this is what Habakkuk is going through. And it's in the middle of it, we learn three lessons. Habakkuk learns three lessons. We learn it as well. We learn about patience and waiting. We learn about uh, joy, being able to rejoice in the midst of hardship. And thirdly, where our strength comes from, that we could still be strong when we are physically weak. We could still be strong. Um, in the text, he says, everything you've asked for, uh, everything that you needed, your circumstances haven't changed. But God is still the same. He, haven't, he hasn't changed. And that's good news. And what happens is, even if our circumstances don't change, because God doesn't change, we change. We grow. We are transformed. Um, and so what we see is three parts. One is he teaches us to wait on the Lord. That little phrase here, verse 16, Yet I will quietly wait. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I'll wait for God to conquer them. I will wait, he says. It is difficult to wait. Uh, waiting Often it feels like we are being passive, we are being weak, but waiting in the Bible oftentimes is connected to strength. So Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. 
Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so this picture of waiting for the Lord, being strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Courage and waiting. Courage and waiting. We see it side by side. Repeat it. Uh, the 19th uh, century uh, pastor Peter Marshall says this. Teach us, O Lord, the discipline of patience. For to wait is often harder than to work. To wait is often harder than to work. All of you probably at home nodding along. Yeah. You see, because if I work, I feel like I am taking control. If I work, I feel like I can change something. But to wait, I feel like nothing is happening. Teach us, O Lord, the discipline of patience, he says. Teach us this way. You know, in John chapter 11, it's interesting, the story of Lazarus. He, is, he dies, Jesus comes and resurrects him. Remember, this is the last of the signs in the book of John before Jesus himself dies on the cross. Uh, in it, Jesus is very close with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, the three siblings. He's dear friends with them. And when Lazarus has gone sick, he is called by them to come. And in chapter 11, verse 21, by the time Jesus arrives, Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here. So he's saying, you came too late. Your timing was off. Obviously, you must have not have known what was happening. You must not have been sovereign, or you didn't care. That's what she is saying to him. It's interesting because when you go back in the story, in John 11, verse uh, 5 and 6, verse 6, when Jesus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He stayed two days longer. So either he didn't care, or he wasn't sovereign. But what we see ultimately is his power is displayed. He wanted the right time. And God's timing is perfect. He waited for the right time to demonstrate his power. To heal someone who is sick is one thing. But to raise someone from the dead is another. And he wanted to teach Martha and Mary and the disciples of who he is. And this is how God works. When we wait on him, he is working in us. So when you are waiting on God, you're waiting for this to end, you're waiting for work to get back, you're waiting for schools to reopen, you're waiting and waiting, and you say, boy, does this mean nothing is happening? No, God is still at work in you. Charles Spurgeon had said this, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts, for blessed are they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. I love that phrase. He is worth waiting for. So it's time to wait. And you want God to act, but his timing might not be now. We have to learn to wait. The U.S. Navy SEALs are known for their slogan or their saying. And their saying is this, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I say, wait a minute, what did you say? Hold on, my caffeine, my coffee hasn't kicked in. Is that right? Slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. It took him 60 years of operating in crisis situations. Uh, whenever the Navy SEALs got involved, it was often crisis situations. And in the 60 years of operating in these situations, they realized they need to prepare 
slowly and make sure they get things done correctly and not just jump as soon as the crisis comes up. And so God is working at us and working with us and working in us. While we may not feel it, we have to learn to wait. We're becoming more impatient, aren't we, these days? Uh, Robert Levine, in his book, A Geography of Time, he claims the smallest measure of time known to science in a funny way. He suggests this new unit of time called the honkosecond. The honkosecond, he says, is the time between when the light changes and the guy behind you honks before you go. The honkosecond, right? He says our technology today has made us people who are impatient. And so maybe tomorrow morning, you are going to now get online and your internet's going to be slow and Zoom is not working right. You need to wait. We need to wait on the Lord. And God is with us. We often like to give God a timeline. God, I give you X amount of years. I remember speaking with several colleagues and friends who went to ministry saying, I'm committing to this next church I'm going to for three years. I'm going to serve for three years. And I'm going to go set up programs and I'm going to preach and three years something will happen and then uh, I'll think about that after. What I'll go, where I'll go. You see, Jesus stayed with the disciples for three years and they still flaked on him at the end. Right? If Jesus took three years... How are you going to do anything in three years? How are we going to do anything? One thing that 13 years have taught me is that it takes a long time. God is still at work. His timing is very different than mine. In our hurried world, God is probably never fast enough, never quick enough. Dallas Willard, the late philosophy professor at USC, was asked once by a pastor, who was now taking on a new role at a church. He said, well, give me a word of advice. How could I do well? And uh, Dr. Willard said to him, ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Let me encourage you to ruthlessly get rid of hurry in your life. Spend leisurely time with God. Spend time with people. Uh, wait on Him. Secondly, He tells us to rejoice. Um, we can rejoice when things are bad. So oftentimes in our world today, we think when life is good, the byproduct of good fortune is I rejoice. Right? We often think that. And so we think when life is hard and things go bad, well, our joy goes down. So we have understood, the world understands joy and rejoicing as something that is correlated to circumstances. I get a raise, my joy goes up. Boy, uh, my kid gets straight A's and is honored at school on the honor roll, my joy goes up. I get a new car, it has that new car smell, my joy goes up. And we think often it's correlated with circumstances, but the Bible tells us our rejoicing the joy that we have is not in circumstances, but you look at verse 18, twice it says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It is in God. So my rejoicing is plugged in. My joy comes by being plugged into God, not by being plugged into circumstances. 
Can you imagine a boat in the ocean that's not tied down to the dock or has a deep anchor to hold it? Whenever the winds or the waves comes, it will just go that way. And oftentimes, the world around us, that's how it is. When I come upon good fortune, my joy goes up. When I lose it, my joy goes down. But the secret for the Christian is that we rejoice in the Lord. And that preposition, in, where it is found, it's being plugged into the Lord. I am plugged in with Him. And so it is imperative that we plug into the Lord. Um, this phrase, these, the paradox of life, it's not so much that life is easy, right? And then my joy goes up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 8 through 10. He has a bunch of things that are seem completely opposite, but he says this is the Christian life, right? And I just read a little bit. Um, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet are true. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He says, we are sorrowful, but we are always rejoicing. So the sorrow might be there, but our rejoicing will be greater because it is what we have in Christ. It is C.S. Lewis who reminds us, that joy is the serious business of heaven. We as Christians ought to be joyful people. We as Christians ought to be the most joyful people. That is part of the Christian life. Uh, John Orberg wrote, uh, Joylessness is a serious sin, one that religious people are particularly prone to indulge in. Joylessness is a serious sin. You're commanded to be joyful. Do you catch yourself just complaining? Do you catch yourself always angry? Have you met an angry Christian, a grumpy Christian? Have you met just a sad Christian? One of the wonderful things during this whole COVID time is seeing our staff. I would come in, especially on Sunday, as we go, went live for the last seven months, and the praise team would be here, and the sound guys, and our volunteer staff. Everyone has been so joyful. Everyone's been so smiling, and I love coming in. And I leave, actually, charged up because of them. And I'll ask, and I'm the pastor, so I come and I ask, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? And people have big smiles. Well, I assume, because they're wearing the mask, but I assume. And they tell me, everything's okay, life is good. And we'll finish and serve and take care of the service here. We'll have lunch, and we eat together. And that's been something that's been a highlight. The smiling faces. Uh, our worship leaders, our pastors, our staff, the guys behind the scenes, always serving with gladness. Whether it was earthquakes or fires or ash or whatever we're going through, there's been a sense of joy. Because we find our joy, these people find their joy plugged into God. And so this is not a message to tell you to fake it, suck it up, act like you're happy fool people around you. No, it's saying, get plugged into God and let the joy in your life come from that source. And joy leads now to our final point, to strength. Be strong in the Lord. We know that verse so well, Nehemiah 8.10, do not be grieved. Uh, joy of the Lord is your strength. We know that. The joy of the Lord is my strength, gives me strength. Be strong on the Lord. 
It doesn't mean that you have to be able to bench press 200 pounds or be able to uh, do pull-ups or 100 push-ups or whatever it is. The idea is not just physical strength. It's not just about someone who is young and agile, but it's the idea of someone who is spiritually strong. Be strong in the Lord. It says in verse 19, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Uh, you see the capital G-O-D in that verse in the beginning, God. Now, let me just explain why it's in all caps in the ESV. So in the previous verse, the Lord is in all caps here. God is in all caps. Both of them are pointing to the proper name of Yahweh. And so the ESV here in verse 19 doesn't want to make it sound redundant when you're reading. Lord, the Lord. So often in the Bible, when it's capital L-O-R-D, it's his proper name. Lord here is now the title of who he is. Adonai, Lord. But here, uh, God the Lord is my strength. Again, he's saying, he's speaking of the proper God, proper name of God, that he's my Lord, he is my strength. He makes my deer like the deers, uh, make my feet like the deers, rather. Uh, in the Bible, when a deer is mentioned, it usually and oftentimes points to the image of a deer as something that is graceful and beautiful, and secondly, something that is strong. And so whenever the deer or doe, uh, the animals are mentioned in the Bible, it has that picture in mind. So he says, You're, he's going to make my feet. Remember, uh, Habakkuk's legs are shaking in fear. He's shaking in his boots. And it says, my feet like the deer's. And you think about seeing a deer prancing along effortlessly. What would take us maybe five strides they could do in one. They could climb high mountains and they could jump over ravines and it's not a problem. He says, God will make me strong like the deers. The Bible, for example, in Isaiah 35, 6 speaks of, uh, then shall the layman leap like a deer. Psalm 18, 33, he made my feet like the, deer, like the feet of a deer. And set secure on the height. So over and over this is mentioned. God is with you. God will strengthen you. And we have to get plugged into him to find his strength. Going back into his word. Thinking about him. Praying to him. Following with faith. And he strengthens us. There was a survey done with uh, thousands of Christians. And the, quest, the survey was asking them what help them grow spiritually the most. And so they had different categories. Uh, they had, uh, was it a particular preacher? Was it a certain small group or a certain book? Or was it an energetic worship experience? What was it? You know, did you serve the homeless? What helped you grow the most? And the number one thing that helped people grow the most spiritually on this survey, it was suffering. Somehow, in the midst of their suffering, they grew the most. What does that mean? It means God was the joy. God strengthened them. God lifted them up. And isn't that true for all of you, all of us? As you've been going through hard times, isn't it those times you remember how God has built in you now character and steadfastness and resilience, and you've grown in strength. And this is an opportunity as well. These, these months that we are going through is an opportunity for us to grow strong. God is at work. 
So let me encourage you to wait on him. Let me encourage you to rejoice in him. Find your strength as you rejoice in him. And the, the book of Habakkuk closes with a command to sing. He says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, he gives this last command. It's the last little phrase. So all of this is written, and it's like, here, here to the choir master, here, to the worship leader, now let us sing. That is what he's saying. Now let us worship. Let our hearts come together. Let's lift up our voices to the choir master with stringed instruments. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord. We have reason to worship. It's, it's right before that they lose everything. And what, is, what do they do? They go to worship. And so today is a day for you to worship. It's an opportunity for you to do that. Uh, don't wait for the perfect conditions to worship God. He is with you. Your circumstances might not change, but neither does God. And because He is so steady, we can be changed. I hope that you would be changed as well. Let me pray for us. Uh, Bobby's going to lead us in this song. I want to encourage you to sing along uh, as Habakkuk had told the people, the choir master, to now sing. I hope that you will sing and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for 13 years. We thank you, God, for this past year. This is a year that we will never forget. Everything has changed. School, work, socializing. Um, but yet, Lord, you are the same. Your church is moving. And so, God, because you are not changing, it that changes us. And so, God, we come to this place, we leave today, learning to wait, learning to find joy in you, and being strengthened by that. Thank you for your goodness. We sing this to you. Uh, with joyful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.